Lee Whitehorn, 44 years of age, father of two, married to Laura, siblings, Luke, Jay, Rachel and Jane. Uh, one father, two mums. That's me in a nutshell, footy coach. I, I look at myself as just the, the average, everyday, run-of-the-mill bloke. Why am I here today? Um, to talk about my diagnosis um, that I received, uh, not great with dates, but I'm going to say about six weeks ago. Um, and I was diagnosed uh, initially with a lesion, which I think is a nice word initially for a tumour or cancer. And I was diagnosed with a diffused glioblastema. Why am I sitting here? Because my brother, in his uh, wisdom, um, after we had, I can't remember what com- what the conversation was about, but obviously I was diagnosed with uh, brain cancer and had to go through the process of informing the family, which uh, at the time my wife undertook um, that responsibility. One, because she didn't want me having to communicate that information to everybody consistently. Um, and two, I think she could sense that um, whilst I regard myself as a emotionally strong individual, someone that can cope with quite a bit and still maintain a course, uh, I think throughout that period early on, she knew that I just had to get my head around what was in front of me. And the fact that my mum had just passed of cancer uh, late last year and, and I'd had some counselling around that as well, um, yeah, then led to some discussions with Luke. And, and Luke being, you know, at some stage the family will hear this, I guess, but Luke's very similar to me. He's very rational, pragmatic, um, process sort of driven, I guess. And, and we had conversations about, okay, well, so what to next? What are you going to do? How are you going to deal with this? And I could hear in the background his little fingers just tapping away. And uh, and I'm kind of used to that because between him and his partner, Borhan, they're very busy individuals. And um, and I thought, he's doing work. He's doing some work <laughs> while we're having a phone conversation about my brain cancer. And, and in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of something really funny to rip into him and go, oi, rein it in, like... I'm being serious here. And uh, and then I said, I, I could hear him. And I said, you're typing away in the background. He goes, yeah, I'm taking notes. What are you taking notes on? He said, I'm, I'm taking notes on this conversation because I think I think we should do something with it because I've, I've listened to what you've said so far and the way that you've spoken about um, uh, the issue and how you're going to deal with it. And um, and I think that's this could be really important for other people to hear. So my name is Luke Evans. I am Lee's youngest brother. Um, we have the same mother, but a different father, hence why we have a different surname, if anyone's out there playing along. Um, I am here today because uh, it has been quite a journey over the last six weeks, I guess. And six weeks ago, my my amazing older brother, who I have um, always looked up to and always sought advice from and who I've always been you know, very well connected with, Um, was diagnosed with brain cancer and so over that period of time we have had some uh, big interesting 
Let's call them even life-changing discussions and life-changing in the sense that it really um, has challenged and, and questioned and made me question, I guess, a lot of how I perceive certain things and how, how I would respond to that, I guess, as well. Um, but in that process, um, had an idea that actually, do you know what? What I'm learning here is equally what a lot of other people probably have questions about, want to learn, need to get their head around if they have a loved one or a significant other or whoever it might be who is um, diagnosed with something similar. And so I thought, what a great opportunity to, um, instead of falling into a heap, which <clears throat> to be honest, is very easy to kind of go on to at times. Um, and we're not allowed to cry. We're only allowed to cry on our own away from Lee. This, this has been set up for us already. So I can only, so, so, you know, between myself and even his wife, when we've spoken about, it, I haven't spoken to other family members, but we laugh. She goes, oh, I cry in the bathroom. Oh yeah, I cry in the shower. It's fine. Um, but we, uh, we decided that, you know, this could be a great opportunity to be able to actually use one of his greatest skills which is coaching and he's a fantastic coach and very pragmatic and logical and just has a really good i believe a very good view of the world um when it comes to how do we how do we kind of take on challenges and um and why not use that to our advantage to one help him but then also to capture this throughout the process and help others my greatest fear at this point um if i was to look into the kind of immediate future it's it's not being um as much support as i can be for my brother to ensure that he feels fully capable to try and overcome this i know it's health i know some of it's in your hands and some of it might not be but it's kind of that it's that am i doing enough am i being around enough am i am i showing up enough for this individual probably the obvious more longer term fear or greatest fear would just simply be you know not being able to have him here um but actually part of that that is connected to it is around exactly that for his sons you know i um we have some other family members who are currently going through um their own health challenges so my partner's um grandmother has has cancer and my auntie has cancer in adelaide and um and, you know, it's, it's just about, you know, we've been having these really interesting conversations recently around the fears associated with different people and, and I guess where they are in their life, you know, like, so for someone like his, you know, his grandmother, so my partner's grandmother, she's had a great life, you know, she's at that point in her life and you kind of go, am I kind of praying that she can help to kind of move on into the next life, you know, pass over or whatever it might be and, and do it in a way that she doesn't suffer. But then when I'm sitting here across from my brother and I can see his beautiful family, it's much harder to accept that that is going to be, um, that there's going to be an end of the road piece in that, you know, like, because I want to see his boys grow up with a dad like him, like around present instilling values. You know, I'm really, you know, I'm, I, him mentioning values. I, I fully agree. That was one of my biggest things going, no, no, no. He's a good human. He needs to be here. We need that impact. You know, we need, uh, we need good humans around to help build out, you know, other little humans to be better as well. So, um, my biggest fear is losing that, not being able to see that, not being at that point later in life. Oh, what am I afraid of? It's a big question. That is, uh, the big brother and the father would say nothing. Um, the honest answer would be, 
not being around long enough to instill the values that I feel will set my kids up to become strong, responsible, uh, wholesome individuals. That's probably my my fear. Um, at the moment, I think we're doing a reasonable job of that thus far. I'm very lucky that I have individuals such as my brother, my brothers, my sisters, um, and even extended network of friends that um, are very clearly aware of what my morals, beliefs, values are, uh, and know that if, uh, for whatever reason, I were not to be here at some point, I have full confidence and faith that all of those things will be um, instilled in my children as they as they grow up. But um, that's not the plan. The plan is to be here certainly long enough to get through that journey with my children. So right now, that would be my greatest fear. Constantly throughout my life, it's uh, everyone's the same. Um, I've always had, yes, I've coached footy for about 11 years now. I love it. I'm incredibly passionate about the sport of AFL, but more passionate about working with individuals and developing them to become, and you'll hear coaches say this, I think, you'll hear really good coaches say this across the country, across a range of sports, that what drives you when you're coaching people is not um, that you're a better footballer when I'm finished with you. It's that you're a better individual. Um, everybody has a level of talent and they'll all reach doesn't matter how good you are as a coach everyone's got that ceiling that they will reach how they get there will be um, can you get them to be the best individual that they're going to be and I guess for me thinking after our discussion I was like well I'm constantly told that I'm good in that space and it's uncomfortable to hear that even though I know that that I am, but it's uncomfortable to hear that. I guess the role I've played in our family and throughout this process and why I've asked, don't cry in front of me. One is that for me to concentrate on getting better and getting through this, you don't need the emotional baggage that comes with it and it might sound selfish, but you don't need the emotional baggage. You certainly don't need people outside yourself because you're the only person carrying this illness, you don't need their emotional baggage. So I'd sat down with the family to talk about, okay, well, this is what I need from you to get through this so that I can be the very best me to get through this so that I can be here for you for longer than perhaps the doctors um, anticipate. We went in, we saw a neurosurgeon, we sat down, it was in a really pretty plain room. And he asked us, you know, the questions of how are you? And I thought, you, you poor bastard, you've got to sit here and ask me, how am I? When you, I don't know how many times a day you have to do this, but you've got to ask me that question. And knowing you've got to tell me something, and I could tell instantly from the second that we walked in there that the information he was about to give me was not going to be good. After doing that and breaking that down, and okay, grab my wife, let's go. I had my dad waiting outside. Again, coach is sort of kicking in and going, okay, got to work out how I'm going to deal with this. Initially, anger, what do I do? Part of me was like, oh, just... <laughs> I 
this is probably the very old me, but part of me was like, oh, geez, I just go out and punch something. I don't know, just infuriated, angry. Um, why was I angry at that point? Um, well, I guess I'd challenge anyone to say that um, you would have anything other than anger as an initial response when you get told um, that you have something that will alter your life. I wasn't told that this is something that we can get rid of. I was told that um, this is something we can manage, but we don't know for how long. Um, the anger probably came from, and this is me, probably ability to get over myself. <laughs> uh, I was always really fit. My football career busted my knee twice. Um, had a range of other injuries. Uh, not because my body broke down, but all um, impact injuries, which takes some pride out of. My body didn't break down because it was weak. It broke down because people broke it. <laughs> um, I guess the same way I looked at football. Why did I get so fit? Why was I so strong, but I couldn't survive football? Why, why did that happen to me? And then when you go into a hospital or you see, uh, you know, on the way in, we saw I saw an individual had a drip walking outside of the smoking area having a cigarette and I remember just stopping and looking at that for a second and thinking is that really selfish of me to be to think or to be angry in any way that that individual you're in a hospital you've been treated something yet you're smoking something that has a warning on the packet telling you that it can more than likely cause cancer. So I guess that's why I was angry. I thought, why, have I, why did I put time into myself? Why did, I, why did I try and manage myself as an individual? Why did I try and stay fit, healthy, do all these things, um, support others, and then you get this? I guess luckily for me and probably the people that I'm surrounded by, that anger disappeared fairly quickly because I had to, for me, I had to just then go, right, you got to dump this shit right now and start focusing on what is step one. And step one was going to speak with my father, who for me is someone that I've always admired and and, and wanted to uh, in a range of different ways emulate. So I had to go out and tell him after that. And I was angry about having to tell him that. I wasn't angry that I had what I had because in my head it might be stubborn, it might be naive, but I um, and it might be a bit of ego, but I thought, oh, I don't care. They can tell me what they want. I'm going to work through this. I'll get through this. But I had to go and tell my dad, whose wife had just passed less than six months ago um, from cancer. So for me, that was a bit of the anger was around that as well. How do other people get away with this that live these ridiculous, wasteful lives and treat themselves like crap? And then you look after yourself and you cop this. And now I've got to go and tell someone that I love dearly with my wife by my side. By the way, Dad, um, I've stage four brain cancer. How did I dump that shit quickly? Dad said, do you want to go and get a cup of coffee? My response was at 11 a.m. Uh, and I don't drink much at all. <laughs> um, let's go get a beer, Dad. I need a beer. Uh, I think I had half a beer, but I just needed that feeling of I need to go and sit at a pub and have a beer and then ring my mum who uh, 
and that was the other part as well. I had to bring my mum and, and speak to her, and um, and that's too hard to explain in a session. My mum and who she is, and the individual. Um, but she's taught me a lot of who I am and where I am today. But to tell, to then have to go and speak to her about that was uh, incredibly difficult as a first child. I think that was the hardest part for me to have to go and tell her that in her eyes, her first child, and I'm the big strong one, and I'm the resilient one, and I can do anything and beat anything and be anything. To her, to go and tell her that was was pretty hard. As great as your story is, the one thing that you're actually overlooking here is the fact that you've spent your whole life as a golden child. Am I am I right or am I wrong? And that's 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 the complexity of trying to explain mum is the fact that her golden child <laughs> has uh, has something going on. Uh, it's not something that sits comfortably with me, and I uh, will say that um, this is what golden children say. Not a claim that I have ever acknowledged <laughs> or accepted. <laughs> accepted. You don't have to when you're at that tier, you know what I mean? Like, you just have to look down and just, just see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been a constant running joke throughout the family um, from day one that uh, I'm always perceived as the golden child, as mum's favourite, because uh, I was her first or, you know, whatever reason. And um, And it's funny because I always used to get quite... My brothers and sisters I love enormously. And I would look at them, and they're all very different. But I would look at them and think, uh, how, like, how, how am I the golden? Why am I the golden child? Like, look at this guy. He's travelled to Nepal and helped build an orphanage. And <laughs> I've built a pagola in my backyard. Um, no, it's got nothing on a golden child. So, <laughs> but then, then I, you know, um, I had kids, and I had my first child, Max, who is now three and a half. As the same as any parent, you until you have them, you don't understand. You think you do, but you, but you just, you just don't. Um, and I had Max, and and I remember um, for the first few days being completely anxious, and 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 I've never been anxious in my life. I've never been. I'm not a stressed individual. I don't get anxious. So I don't see the point in it. But after about four or five days of that, I rang Mum and I was like, Mum, I am. I can't sleep. I feel sick. I don't know what to do. Everyone's expecting me to be this brilliant dad. And I, I just don't, I'm not going well. And she just laughed and she said, um, she goes, it's because this is your first. This is your first. You're going to have more, but this is your first. And uh, and she said, um, and you're highly protective of your first children. You always are, as we all know as parents, that your first one comes out and, uh, you know, you want to put bumper stickers everywhere. You want to pad everything. You want to monitor everything. You're super sensitive uh, and so forth. So uh, I guess after having children and having Max and then we had Jack, um, and Max is very gentle, loving, old soul. Uh, he's a beautiful little boy. Uh, and then Jack is... Um, just a bull. <laughs> Jack <And> is wild. <laughs> Jack's a wild man. Um, and I love him. He's, um, I love both of them, but I can, I now understand what mum refers to when she, when she jokes about the golden child that. So we've spoken about learning about the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. 
learning about what it means to or how it felt kind of telling those close to you and 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 you know and and i guess your anger around it all let's step back let's 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 just go back before this back six weeks ago and um how do we even get here what's what's the story at work i'd had about three or four days in a row of really bad headaches when i say bad they were just like i couldn't focus on anything for a period of time and um I, I do a really ju- good job these days of controlling uh, my anger levels. Um, 15 years ago, not so good. But at that point at work, while well, I was getting these headaches, I was constantly in the state of, if anybody pushes my buttons today, there's a chance I'll throw them through the window at the front. <laughs> and it was quite a stressful job and I wasn't comfortable. There were a whole range of you know, things. Um, I had a conversation with my wife and said, she said, I just, it's not a good fit. So... Uh, financially, this is going to hurt us, but maybe consider it. Let's, let's resign. Big part of why I love my wife so much because is it going to, does it affect us as a family? Absolutely. But her care for my headspace was far greater than are we eating rib fillet this week or are we mince and rice for the next month? Resigned my headspace. Uh, my headaches disappeared immediately. Felt a million dollars. Felt brilliant. I was probably a little bit lazy. Um, I, I did take the liberty of being, of not working, um, a little bit too, um, I was a little bit too advantageous, I guess, and, and thought that, uh, great, Netflix, Stan, Disney, KO. <laughs> I can watch all the old grand finals. This is great. I guess I'll register for some jobs and I'll start that process. So I started that process and was feeling good and, 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 and my wife Laura was constantly saying, you just look so much better than you did a couple of weeks ago with that, you know, at work. You look so much better. The house feels better. Everything feels great. And then I wake up one morning, uh, normal morning routine. I wake up at five, always have, I'll get my littlest one, Jack, who usually by about five, 5.30, if I'm really lucky, six o'clock is uh, in a very stern voice. Dad, 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 dad. And uh, I'll go and get him, pick him up, get him out of the cot. We have a cuddle, probably for about five minutes. Always ask him what he dreamt about, even though he can't speak. We have that conversation every morning. Uh, and then I close the hallway off so that he can't make his way into the bedroom where Laura is sleeping along with Max if he's made his way into our bed. But this particular morning I wake up and I felt sick. And I was really nauseous. Um, I don't know if this is fit for podcast, but um, I wasn't sure. It took me back to being about 18. You're that hungover. You're not sure which end is going to activate first. And, <laughs> and I felt terrible. And I, I was like, oh. And I got up out of bed and I felt a little bit dizzy. And I thought, oh, I didn't drink much water yesterday or last night. So straight away starting to sort of trying to rationalize while I was feeling a bit funny. I went to the toilet, I sat down, nothing was happening. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't going to vomit. Nothing was happening at the other end. And I, I don't know how long I sat there for, but it might've been, I don't know, let's say five minutes, 10 minutes. And, but I knew something wasn't right. I was feeling a bit really funny in the head. And I thought, 
I kind of need to be somewhere a bit safer, like my bed, because I, I feel like I could fall over. Uh, I got up really slowly uh, off the toilet, and, and I remember getting halfway up. My hands were still on the toilet, so I wasn't fully up. And the next thing I knew, I woke up, I was on the floor of the bathroom, and I panicked because I... Th- <laughs> I panicked because I thought I'd made my way back to bed and I could feel that it was wet underneath my middle region and I thought I'd made my way back to bed and I'd wet the bed and I thought, oh, no, I'm in strife until I, <laughs> until I looked over and realised that my head was pressed up hard against the bathtub and that there was blood everywhere and I thought, oh, gosh, what have I done here? And usual thing, I thought, oh, I've got to fix this, but... Laura's still asleep. Don't want to wake her up too early, so I got up and I started patting my nose, and it was just kept bleeding and kept bleeding, and I cleaned the floor, and I thought that's okay. Then I went out and picked Jack up. Uh, well, I could smell that he'd done a poo actually, and it was horrific, and I thought better change it. Nothing worse than waking up straight from bed and you know <laughs> leaving to Laura. By the way, change your son's really bad poo. Uh, and in hindsight, I'm a little bit disappointed in myself that I that I did this, but it's the stubbornness in me and my, the thought that I can always get anything done. So I picked Jack up and I put him on his change table and I remember having to focus really hard. Like when you're, you know, you've just, you're on your seventh shot of tequila at the bar and you've had five beers and you're trying to read the cocktail menu and you're like really, whoa. And I was, I was in that space and I was, but I, I got it done and I thought, I can't be too bad. I've, I've obviously just a bit lightheaded. I've fallen over. I probably concussed myself because I split my nose open and I've done all right. I had to change him. Now he's on straight. Dressed him again. This is good. And he's angry because he was hungry, <laughs> which is a constant. And um, I was trying to make a bottle and I remember standing there trying to make the bottle and I was finding it really hard to get the, the kettle water to meet the bottle. And... Laura came out at that stage because she heard Jack making a ton of noise and she was like, what's going on? He's obviously hungry. Why hasn't my bloody husband given him some breakfast yet? And she came out and saw obviously the blood sort of, I wouldn't say streaming, but it was the, I had a reasonable amount sort of coming down my face. And her initial questioning was, what have you done? What have you, not in that tone. You know, <laughs> well, you in that tone of, what have you bloody done? <laughs> you idiot. What have you done? Hi, my name's Laura, uh, wife to Lee and mum of our two beautiful little boys. I was probably not as sympathetic as I should have been. I was like, what has happened? Like, why have you got blood? And and he just looked so dazed and confused. He was just looking back at me and kept saying, I don't know. And I was like, what do you mean you don't know? Um... I was getting pretty annoyed because I couldn't get an answer out of him. And then he just, he ended up um, doing the milk, spilled a little bit, but did the milk, um, went and got into bed with Max and just laid down. And I followed him in there and was like, I I need to know what's happened. You've obviously banged your head, like you're bleeding from your face. Um, And he said, "I, I just woke up in the bathroom. So I went into the bathroom to try and figure it out for myself and um, he had cleaned some of it up 
with baby wipes and there was still blood on the floor and I just couldn't piece it together. So um, I called his mum and then I called Luke, um, his brother, to come over and help me because I had had a rough night the night before with Max having his anaphylactic reaction and um, I had quite a lot of washing to do with vomit. So I actually called someone for help to come over and help me with the boys while Lee, as far as I was aware, was going to have a little rest because I was sure he had a concussion. Then Laura disappeared and I thought, thank goodness, I'm on my own. She's left me alone. This is great. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be stoked to hear this. But I could hear her on the phone and I'm like, what is she, what's she doing? Who's she talking to? Uh, the next thing I knew, Luca arrived. Yes, I arrived. I had a, um, I had been dropping a friend off who was over from New Zealand. He'd come and hung out for the weekend. and We had a great old time. And uh, it was Monday morning. Lee and Laura live not far from the airport. So driving along um, on the motorway and get a phone call from mum. And mum's on her way to the Gold Coast and she goes, hey, look, I just had a, I just had a phone call from Laura and Lee's not well and I'm on my way to the Gold Coast and I, I, can't, I can't get there now, but can you just go over? Can you just go and check if everything's all right? Just something doesn't feel right about it. She says, it just doesn't feel right. Can you just get over there? And I was like, yeah, sure, no drama. So I literally, where I got that phone call, just indicated straight off and then was two minutes away from the house so it was just perfectly timed literally phone call a minute later i would have had to you know it would have taken me 15 20 minutes longer to be able to get there get the phone call come off arrive walk inside uh borham was with me he goes i'll go grab a um go on like you go in i'll go grab coffees and and we'll check if everything's all right and mum's thing was you know what lee's like you'll get there and he'll probably be fine and he'll probably get really cranky at the fact that you've come over and whatever and and i walk in and and he's laying there and he's got the cut on his nose and he's kind of laid up on some um some pillows and he kind of like looks to see me but his eyes are like looping all over the place right like he's just not straight vision and he's like oh hey hey and i was like hey mate how you doing and he's like looking all around the place i was like oh you look like you had a bit of a bit of a fall there what's going on like you know i did remember thinking why do people speak slower and in louder voices when you, <laughs> you so do this, is what, don't you? this is what was going through i'm like what are um. these idiots <laughs> Why is my brother asking me if I'm okay? Because <laughs> you looked like you're about, your eyes are going to fall into the back of your head. if I was physically head. possible at that point, I think I would have thrown someone down the stairs. <laughs> and um, but I'd, and that was part of it. I sort of knew that because I couldn't respond. Um, I knew that something significant was sort of wrong. In the next episode of The C Word. Um, hey. So, we've got some news. Um, the doctor's been in. Um, are you outside? I think I said. Are you with Laura? Yes. Uh, are you outside? Can you go outside? Go away from Laura. Or don't show any emotion and don't tell Laura, but just make it happen. You know, round up two little people and um, try and get your ass up here as soon as possible, I think. And then I had to make the phone call to um, ask you know, second eldest brother Jay and deliver him the same news.